So we are continuing the series that we have been working on uh, through the last several weeks. Series titled "When Jesus Went to Church," and we are seeking God as a church of what what is next for all of us, what is next for the mission of our church, but in our own hearts and our own lives. And 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 as everything around us has changed and continues to change, um, the thing that is always true is who God is, right, and His presence with us. And, and as we as we have worked our way through these different churches and studying them uh, in the first part of Revelation, we, we know, again, that, that God is with us. And through this series, we have claimed this promise that God gave to Israel in, in a time of, of, of chaos for them in their history, right? But the same promise is true for us today, even amidst the chaos in our world today, right? It is just as true today in 2021 as when it was originally given to Israel through the prophet Jeremiah, right? Where Again, he said, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And in those days when you pray, I will listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And again, as we've worked our way through this series, seeking the Lord of, of what he showed these churches and, and what we can glean and apply to our own lives and our own faith journey, as well as us as a church family and how can Oregon Trail be better? We have seen, again, God work as we have prayed and as we seek the Lord wholeheartedly, and, and we want to continue to see his spirit move. As we read through these churches, we looked the first week at the church in Ephesus, and we learned how we need to keep God on the throne of our lives, that we can't get distracted from what really matters, and that Jesus Christ is what really matters and needs to be first in everything that we cannot let our love grow cold. The next was the church in Smyrna and how we realize that we are rich even amidst our suffering and that we are instructed to never be afraid and just to pass whatever test God gives us or whatever test comes our way. The next week, we looked at two churches, the church of Pergamum and Theatria. And here we saw this shift from the evil around the world and in the community outside of the churches to where Jesus addresses the evil within these churches. He calls out deceptive and false teaching and, and a call to repentance among church leadership and among the church family. And then last week, we looked at the church in Sardis. And this time, we saw another shift that Jesus makes in his description and observations of these churches that now we not, not move from just the evil within churches, but he moves to some very personal issues within our own hearts. We are told to take off the church mask, to examine our own lives, and to let God's truth set us free as we all grow in our faith. And to say Jesus doesn't let up with these next few churches. And so here we are, the next one that we're going to look at today, the church in Philadelphia, and it is found in Revelation chapter 3. Verses 7 through 13. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Revelation chapter 3. If you're here with us in person and you don't have your own Bible, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats that you're welcome to use. If you're with us online and you have your Bible, you can open up uh, with us as well to Revelation chapter 3. Uh, if not, you can just listen as I read it, but we are going to read again verses 7 through 13. 
Revelation 3, picking up at verse 7. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is a message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. And they will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So as we look at, at this church, this church in Philadelphia, we, we see even just the intro uh, of, of Jesus to this church, before he even talks to the church, he brings up keys and doors. And then he uses this illustration going through the entire description to this church about doors. Doors being open, doors being shut. Right? And who has the power? to open and close those doors. And as we see this, we, we, again, look at this very first verse, verse 7. I want to look closer at it. At Revelation 3, verse 7. And he says, he writes this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. And what he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. Again, these words are read. These are the words of Jesus, right? As, as he, uh, once again, is identifying, laying the foundation of who he is as Messiah. Right? And, and as God. In fact, in this verse, Jesus literally references an Old Testament passage in Isaiah chapter 22. Once again, we see that, that the importance of knowing our entire Bible, not just our favorite passages or, or certain, certain verses. He references Isaiah 22, verse 22. And this entire chapter is, is describing um, the changing of the guard happening in Israel. It is, it is specifically regarding the post of secretary of Judah. And this was when... Uh, the, the keys or the baton, the, the leadership was being passed from an unfaithful man named Shebna to a faithful one named Eliakim. Again, their names are not important because it's hard to say them, right? But what is important is the fact that, that God was moving through Judah in this, this, this position of leadership, and he saw, again, this evil leader, Right? That was pushing people away from God, and, and God removed him from leadership and then gave leadership to somebody that was righteous and someone that would move the nation back towards the one true 
God. And, and, and it's, it's saying they literally were passing the keys, right? And again, we think about it, it's this similar concept of when someone gets a key to the city, right, in our modern context. And notice Jesus identifies himself in this verse that he has the key. And it's not a bunch of random keys, it's a very specific key. The key of David. Again, a reference to the Old Testament symbolism, right? That was given through the the King David, right? The man after God's own heart. Again, another leader that pointed the nation to the one true God. And and as we see, again, this symbolism, right? of, Of we start out, again, with the keys. And these keys are significant of the authority Right? Because the one who holds the key holds the power and the control right, of when things are unlocked and when they're not. Right? And, and Jesus says, I have the key, but this very specific key, again, the key of David. And again, David is, is, is a bigger picture of a messiah. I noticed as we, again, read through Isaiah and through other prophecies in the Old Testament that the Messiah was to become through the line of David. Right? And Jesus, again, was in this line, right? As, as it comes through, Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies. That, and Jesus, again, is claiming his authority and claiming his identity as the Messiah when he says, I have the key of David. And then Jesus shows what he's going to do with that key. Well, he does it the same thing that we all do with keys, right? He opens doors. And yet this door specifically that Jesus addresses here in verse 7, and that he addresses to the church of Philadelphia, right, is the door of salvation. The door of salvation. Because that is the main mission of the Messiah, right, is to provide a way to be saved. So here before Jesus ever says anything specifically to the church, he lays this foundation at the very beginning of saying, I have the key of David, right, and what I choose to open will be opened, and what I choose to close will be closed. He is the Messiah. He has all authority. He is the way of salvation. And Jesus lays this foundation for the church before they hear anything specifically about them or their church. Jesus is declaring that he is the one that decides who gets to walk through the door and who doesn't. In fact, this entire passage, as he's referencing this Isaiah 22, is referencing a changing of the guard. And Again, he addresses later in the passage, he does address these Jews, right, in the synagogue and all this, right, that, that they, he, this is the shift, right, from, again, the old covenant of the covenant of the law that came through the Jews, right, to the new covenant of grace that comes through the Messiah. Right, this passage is just layers and layers of symbolism. And as Jesus declares he is the Messiah, that he, again, is, is reminding them that they have moved from the old covenant that was controlled by the religious leaders of the time, the Jews, to a new covenant, a covenant of grace that is accomplished, ushered in, and controlled by Jesus 
death and resurrection and the power of the cross. That we see again in this passage in verse 9, he, he addresses specifically these liars who say they are Jews. Right? Now, he, he is speaking to the wedge that was forming between the old covenant people right, and the new covenant people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And this, once again, is fulfilling the, the different prophecies that were given, right, about the Messiah would not be accepted by his own people. All right, and Jesus is reiterating one more time, right, this reference, right, and symbolism of who he really was as the Messiah. And as he addresses himself and, and establishes himself as the the, the chosen Messiah that was sent by God the Father. Right, we also see this, this, this wedge is being drawn, and Jesus is separating those, right? We saw, we studied earlier this year about this, the sheep and the goats, right? And, and this, we see Jesus doing this here. He's, he's referencing these things. And, and we also see in the Gospels that Jesus says that, that even to the disciples and to others, right, he says, you are either with me or you're against me. Right? And Jesus naturally eliminates the middle. And that's exactly what the Messiah is supposed to do. Right? To separate evil from good. And, and in fact, we see, and as in John's writing, and the, the Apostle John is who wrote the book of Revelation. He had this, again, this revelation, this vision from God, and he wrote down what he saw, and that was the directions that he got, if you read the very opening verses of Revelation. And that's what he did, right? He's, he says, just write down what you see. You know, John also wrote some other biblical books, right? This is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, right? The story of Jesus' life. Hey, this is the same John that was a disciple, that was with Jesus. That's how we get that inner picture of, of the emotional and more loving side of Jesus in the Gospel of John as compared to the other Gospels. Okay, he also wrote letters, right? And, and he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Right? And then he wrote Revelation. And, and yet we see the style of John's writing is, is, is consistent through all of those books. And, and he uses a lot of the same symbolism in the gospel and in his letters and in Revelation. And this is another place as we look at, at the bigger picture of Revelation, and even he alludes to it here in this church, right? that of this symbolism right, of these liars and of the antichrists. This is a term that John uses in his writings Pretty consistently, we see in his first letter in First John chapter two, verse twenty-two, he says, "And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ." That's a that's a big group, isn't it? He says that's how you can identify a liar is 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 ultimately the 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 biggest truth, right? Is whether they, they believe Jesus is the Christ or not. And he says, anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Now, if, if you've read ahead in Revelation, you know that this symbolism continues in his writing in Revelation, don't you? Right? And yet, Jesus, or, um, John tells us right, what he means when he uses that term. Right? I mean, he tells us right here. Anyone who says Jesus is not the Christ is an antichrist. Right? Which, which reiterates the words of Jesus. Right? If you're not with me, you're against me. 
Right? You're either a Christ follower right, or an anti-Christ. And as we see here, we, Jesus obviously identifies some liars, right? some anti-Christ that, that are pulling back on this church, that are, are even potentially persecuting them. John lays out to us that there are those that don't acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, and he calls them antichrist. And again, this is language that he continues to use in Revelation. And as we think about, again, realize something that we already know, that literally everything matters on how you define Jesus. Everything hinges on how you define Jesus. In fact, you can look at every world religion today, and it can be just as simply defined by how they view Jesus. And when we look at that and realize that, we see again what Scripture tells us about Jesus. One of those places is in Philippians chapter 2. It says, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Now notice Paul, as he writes this, right, leaves no wiggle room right, about that every tongue, every knee, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. What is left out? Nothing. Nothing in all creation will escape having to either claim or deny Christ. Right? And, and as we see that, and we know, right, again, Paul points out that every knee will bow to the name of Jesus. And it, it seems that Jesus is referencing both, these, both of these concepts as he calls out these specific people in Philadelphia, right, these, these anti-Christ, right, and the fact that every knee will bow and everybody has to define who Jesus is for themselves. And who is Jesus going to be in my life? Right? And, and we see, again, within this church of Philadelphia, both are there. Or Jesus acknowledges that both are there. Right? There are those that, that claim Jesus as their Messiah, and there are those that deny him. And then, but then we, we move into that, right, this church that, that leads us to the, to the good that Jesus says about this church. And again, as we've been going through these churches, we see the good, right, the bad, and what to do next. And, and so as we start out, there are two things that Jesus commends this church for, right? The first good thing is their perseverance. Because he says both of these are present here in this church, right? So, so they're in, in this community, right? Even though that there is strong opposition to the gospel of Jesus, they have stuck to what they knew was true. That Jesus is the Messiah. And that their hearts and their lives are surrendered to him. And they are commended for their perseverance. That they have kept the faith. They have run the race. Right? They are still defined by Jesus in their lives and in their hearts. And then we have the other thing, right? The, the other good thing that Jesus addresses, okay? And what he addresses is the open door. Again, he tells them right here, right here in, in verse 8. He says, I know the things you do, and I've opened a door for you that no one can close. <laughs> right? And as he already tells them, he's like, you, you've persevered. 
Right? You know, and, and again, you look in your life, right? and you look at the door, and the door has been unlocked, and it is open. Right? And I, as the Messiah, have opened the door, and it cannot be closed by anyone else or anything else. The door is open. The door is open. He reiterates to them the foundation of truth, that he has opened the door of salvation to them, and that no person or power or anything can ever shut that door. And yet, this is the most core foundational lie that the enemy loves to use. Right? The lie of you, you're not saved. You can't be saved. He's an antichrist. He's a liar. And then we see, again, the bad. And as we look at the Church of Philadelphia, we look at the bad, and we realize that it's not there. It's not there. This is the only church out of all the seven that nothing bad is identified. The only one. It's not there. And from that, again, what do we learn? First off, we have to ask, is that significant? Absolutely, that is significant. It It is very significant. And yet we learn from that, right, that it is okay to be doing good. Right? It is okay to be doing good. And I know, again, as Jesus, we looked at last week, and as Jesus, you know, talks to the church in Sardis, and, and again, that was, that was a hard message to the church in Sardis. Right? It was a hard message for us to hear, wasn't it? And yet, you know, they, they had to... It, voice the truth that they weren't doing good, right? They had to take off their mask, right? But yet this church in Philadelphia is doing good, and Jesus reiterates to them that in the midst of your struggles and trials, you are getting through them, you are trusting God, and they are commended for only good. And it is okay to be doing good. And so if you are in your faith, right, and if you are doing good, then claim it it's okay to be doing good. Because the reality is in our world and even within the bigger church, right, we tend to go through life with a guilty until proven innocent attitude. And we have this chip on our shoulder. And, and again, it seemed that, that at church that you, we've come to this place where you can't be doing okay. Right, because it's assumed that if you say you're doing okay, right, that you are either lying right, or you haven't been convicted yet for falling short. And again, one of those two things might be true in your life, right, which is when you need to reference the church in Sardis, take off the mask, admit the truth. But at the same time, if you are doing good, claim it. Right? What, is, what does he tell the church? He says, God gets the glory. Right? Because there's only one reason I'm doing good. It's because I've walked through the door of salvation. Right? And I have the confidence that nobody can shut it. 
right? And, and that God is changing and transforming my heart and my life, and his power is moving through me. And that is good. Right? And if I'm doing good, if I'm moving forward in my faith, then we claim it and we give God the glory. Right? The, the realities, right? the truth that Jesus gave them is that there was nothing wrong with how they were doing life and living out their faith. Amen. Again, last week was about waking up to the truth, and now Jesus tells this church the truth that you're doing good. Keep going. Because they truly were doing good. But notice, again, they have given God the glory. It's not about exemplifying themselves. And so now what do we do, right? If we are actually doing good, what do we do next? (laughs) Well, Jesus gives them a couple things. The first thing he tells them to do is to trust in God's protection. Trust in God's protection. To know that you can stay on that road. You can continue to do good. Right? You continue to glorify Christ and to, to claim him. Right? Because as we know, right, that, that again, Jesus, the Messiah, eliminates the middle. There is good and there is evil. Right? And we are automatically in the war because we are created in God's image. And therefore, the evil does not like us. Right? We are in the war. We don't get to choose if we're in the war. We do get to choose how we respond to the war. Again, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 12, in fact, when you look at Ephesians 6, right, the, the war is addressed and, and how we are told over and over again to stand firm and all the tools that God gives us as believers, as those who choose the Messiah, right, we get all of these tools and this armor, right, to, to, to stand firm in the battle. In, in verses 10 and 12, right, it says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And the enemy is hard at work in our world. This war is raging. And it is a spiritual war, and we have to fight it with spiritual weapons. Right? And, and when we do that, again, we are told, right, it is God's power. It is God's armor. It's not our power. It is not our strength. It is not our armor. It is God's. In fact, the entire book of Revelation, if you keep reading, right, is ultimately about this epic battle between good and evil. And guess what? We know who wins. We can read to the end. (laughs) Right? And guess what? God wins. We know who wins. And so no matter what rages in our world today, no matter how strong the fighting gets, no matter you know, what, what the enemy hurls at us, the end is already written. And nobody can close the door. And, and we see again, Jesus identifies the real enemy in John 8, 44. He says, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he's a liar and the father of all lies. Guess what? When he's the father of all lies, that means that he is the supreme antichrist. 
Right? And when we see that, we know that. We, again, Jesus has identified who he is and what his main weapon is. And his main weapon is lies. And guess what? His primary lies that he wants to give it to all of us is to see his lie is that this door is closed. That's his first lie. Right? And we, in our own hearts, we kind of look at that, that, and we believe that, right? And when we look at what seemingly is a closed door, and we, we start to believe, right, that, that I'm not saved, or that I can't be saved, or that my sin is too great, right? And guess what? But they're, they're lies, because God loves the world. Anyone who believes in him can be saved. All right, so don't believe the lies because the truth, the truth is the door is wide open. That's the truth. Right? Don't ever believe the lies that the door can be closed or that it's closed to you because it's not. Right? And when we, we see that and, and we, we understand, right, the, the fact that the door is open, Jesus has opened it for you. Let me say that again. Whether you're here with us in person or you're with us online or you're watching it months after today, the door is open to you. Which leads to the second thing that Jesus tells his church to do. And it's the same thing we all have to do too. We have to walk through the door. We have to walk through the door. Right, we have to walk through the door. And, and again, just as, as we see, right, we know again that, that Jesus has promised to us that he's with us. John 16, 33, I've told you all this so you may have peace in me, because here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. That is a powerful promise. Right, notice again, he doesn't say that he doesn't promise us that you'll never have issues or struggles in your life. Right? The evil in this world won't, won't cause horrible things to happen. Right? But he does promise that he wins. Right? He does promise that the door can never be closed. And so we have to walk through the open door. Again, as we look at our vision statement of our church, of joining the journey, right, this statement has dual meaning. Again, next week we're going to explore what this looks like uh, for those who have accepted Christ as their Savior as we look at the very last church, the church of Laodicea. And I'll tell you, make, be sure you're here next week. Right, but, but also, joining the journey, right, is also about walking through the door of salvation. Just like the message of the church of Philadelphia was that Jesus had ushered in a new covenant, the covenant of grace. Right, and it's that same covenant that we claim today. And, and, and it's that covenant, right, that we see through this whole analogy of, of keys and authority and Messiah and doors being opened, right, that, that we look at this most bold and truthful claim that Jesus made ever about himself in John 14, 6. 
where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Only the Messiah can open the door. And the door has been opened by his death and by his resurrection. But we have to walk through that door. We have to open the gift of salvation. If you have never received Christ as your Savior, then I hope and pray that you will pray and accept him into your life and be saved. It is a free gift. The door is open, right? But you have to accept and open the gift. You have to walk through the door, right? Whatever analogy we want to use, right? But, but you need to accept that salvation in your life. And scripture tells us you do that by believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confessing with your mouth. Right? And, and so if you've never received Christ as your Savior today, I hope that you will walk through the door of salvation by praying receiving Christ as your Savior and inviting him into your life, confessing your sins, receiving his, his grace and his mercy, his forgiveness, his love, and asking him to save you. And if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, then as we remember from last week, right, is that the gospel is important every day. And you need to choose the gospel every day. And, and that it is the foundation of our faith, but it is also the motivation that keeps us moving forward in our journey. We claim the gospel every day, and we can't forget how important the gospel is. So even if you have been saved, even if maybe you've been saved for decades, you still choose to walk through that door every morning. Right? And to claim that. Right? Because when you claim it, then it, it shows, pushes down all of those lies. Right? And that's the main way that we fight back in this cosmic war, right? is you start with the gospel of Jesus. So we walk through this, the door of salvation every day in our lives. And so as we think about right, these questions that we know, again, what, what do you think Oregon Trail needs to learn from the Church of Philadelphia? Right? Will you commit to diligent prayer in this series about how we are going to continue our mission of joining the journey, and what is my role in that effort. And I will tell you, is all of our roles is that we go through the door of salvation. That's the first and most important thing. And so today, as we close our service, we're going to do it just like we always do, right? I mean, Kim's going to come up, she's going to lead us to another song, but, but during that time, though, as we're going to add a little bit, I encourage you right, to come up and walk through the door. Hey, and as we sing, as we pray, as we continue to worship, if walk through the door, whether you're walking through the door for the very first time in your life, right, of, of receiving him as your savior, or whether you just need to walk through the door and say, I am claiming my salvation today and I'm never going back. It leads us, again, a final thought, which you should know by now. First Peter 4, 7 and 8. The end of the world is coming soon. And that is absolutely true. We're closer now than we've ever been. The end of the world is coming soon, and therefore be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. And most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, a love that covers a multitude of sins. So this morning, as we close our service, I encourage you, again, to respond to the truth of God's word, right, to walk through the open door. And if you, if you want to walk through the door, I encourage you to actually walk through the door. And then you can, if you want to kneel, Stand, pray at the altar on this side by yourself. You can do that. 
If you want to talk with somebody, pray with somebody, right? Help receiving Christ your Savior, um, you know, specific prayer requests, whatever it is, right? Rededicate, come over to this side. Somebody will meet with you, talk with you, and pray with you. Let's stand together right, as we respond to the truth of God's word today. Lord God, we thank you and praise you, God, that no matter what we face in this world, God, you are with us and you've overcome the world. And God, that, that we know that the truth is the door is never closed. And God, I pray, Lord, that as we go today, Lord, if we've walked through the door of salvation, that we will show this world who you are by our lives, by our love, by our actions. And God, that we would do our part in, in helping other people walk through the door. Showing them the way. Helping them. And God, I pray for anyone, Lord, who has not walked through the door. Lord, I pray that, that they will open their heart to you. God, that they would give up what they're holding on to. And God, even if they don't walk through the door this morning, God, that they'll find a door wherever they are and walk through it to symbolize the surrender to you. God, as we go this week, I pray, we will live our faith. We will live with confidence. We will wage the war with your power. And God, that we will take new ground for you in every moment you give us on this earth. 
Lord, we love you. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for overcoming the world. God, we thank you for claiming the keys and never closing the door. Lord, as we go this week, we will live your truth. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.